separation from Christ. So we'll have two different messages in case you happen to be here for two services. I look upon the people who are here for service and we have people serving and for whatever reason sometimes people sit through two services and I'm having pity upon them this year that they don't have to sit through the same one twice. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do come before you, and we just thank you, God, that you have given us this day, this day, Lord, that we rejoice in new life. As we see things springing to life all around us, I pray, Lord, that we would forever be reminded of that day so long ago, that day long ago when you died upon the cross, but, Lord, when you went towards the proof of what occurred upon the cross as you were raised from the dead. And so, Lord, that's what we are celebrating here today, that you were raised from the dead. And because you were raised from the dead, we will be able to be raised as well. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and your graciousness towards all of humanity, but even so much more towards us as individuals, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things that I just want you to consider. Uh, Most of you, I would imagine, are born-again believers, and so there, there are certain things that we have to be reminded at certain times that we have to be reminded. We can so take our faith for granted, the Lord, that we're going to heaven and we're going to be there and all is good and glorious until that time when tragedy strikes. And tragedy definitely will strike. Just even today, two events, two very serious events that occurred that just reminded me of the, how fragile life can truly be. And so when we see these things or aware of these things, we're aware of our own mortality and as a blessing as life is and just all the occurrences, we have to be mindful because we know the reality of that day, that there is the reality of the day of our death. And so Christ, Christ is ministering and he's working miracles and he's doing all of these things. And then there's a group of men, a group of men who have heard of these things and, and, and want to know more. Now, as far as the Jews, the Jews were always wanting to see a sign. But there was a group of men that approached some of the Lord's apostles in John chapter 12. I'll just go ahead and read it. You can stay in Isaiah. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks amongst those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see this man that seems to be making quite a difference. We want to see this man that is changing lives, healing people, but also, this is a man... Well, they've never seen somebody who was so bold about speaking this forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness of sins is what's grasped the hearts of humanity throughout the ages. Because the fact of the matter is, we're told that the Holy Spirit convicts us of it, we're sinners. Even in an unsaved state, there were things that we didn't want to do, that we didn't want to participate in, and we found ourselves doing so. Sirs, we wish to see Jesus, and even today... The people wish to see Jesus. It's all we have to give. It's all we have to display. But there is that necessity because I did the homework. Who is it that the world wants to see today? Well, I looked at a Time magazine survey that they did a couple of years ago. I would imagine it's still pertinent today, but we at least get a cross-section of where society is. And they did the survey, and they asked thousands of people, if you had the opportunity to sit down with any one person throughout all of history, who would it be? Who would it be? 499, the person that was ranked 499, guess who it was? No guesses wasn't the Lord. It was Chester A. Arthur. How many people would like to sit down with Chester A. Arthur? 
How many people here know, you can raise your hand, who here knows who Chester A. Arthur was? Well, actually, I'm impressed. He, do you know what number he was? Who said that? My goodness, were you alive then? <laughs> I'm impressed. He was the 21st president of the United States, and we have a gentleman here that knew that. Now, but I'm thinking, okay, you sit down with Chester A. Arthur. What in the world do you talk about? So, okay, Chester, when you signed in, did you sign anything in to, to law? We, we, I, just, I just can't imagine. Because see, it wasn't people making a list and ranking of people, and he, and he came out 499. This was just a proportion of people that he came out in 499. So for a group of people, he was number one on their list, which is kind of amazing. Number three, number three is Muhammad. He may even be further up that list even today, and he continues to grow, unfortunately. Number two kind of surprised me. It was Napoleon, General Napoleon, that French emperor who conquered you know, a big part of the world. I just kind of surprised that he would be too. But then I'm thinking, maybe it's not the general. Maybe it's the guy who invented the pastry. Now him, I would like to sit down with. If, and See, they have him over there, over on Archibald and uh, Philadelphia Creme de la Creme. It's a bakery that's over there, and they have these Napoleons that are to die for. My wife's not here right now, so I can go ahead and talk about that. We wish to see Jesus. Well, it's exactly what we see in Isaiah chapter 53. We have an Old Testament picture, but it's an Old Testament picture that lends clarity to what was occurring upon the cross. Because it not only speaks of what the Lord accomplished, it also speaks of the human condition. It speaks of the condition of man that sees things going on around him and we have no control because we're a people who like to have control. We see things happening even on the other side of the world, but the problem is they've always been on the other side of the world, but now they're starting to enter into our nation. You've got this guy in North Korea who, well, he's got his little erector set trying to shoot missiles up and he's just, the only thing he's able to do is to explode them, but what happens one day when he does? supposedly he has a missile that can reach the United States. And we have all of these things that are going on, and they can seem so unsettling. And it can seem like, well, life is so fragile. But then, I can get to that point, we all can, but Christ meets us at that point of despair. Before we go over that cliff, if you will, there's the Lord Jesus Christ to offer us hope for the future. But he just doesn't throw a blanket of hope over all of humanity. There are requirements, and, well, we so think of grace and grace being free, but it did have an expense. It, it, it cost the Lord his, his life. His, his blood flowed for, for grace that he, he freely gives, but the Scripture is very clear. He freely gives to those who believe. And so if you have yet to, to believe and to receive the, the gospel through your belief, then you don't have grace right now. It's what the scripture says. And so if, if you want to accurately see Jesus, Jesus is there and he has his hands held out to all of humanity, that humanity would grasp onto those hands through belief. Because again, the days are evil, just as the Bible said that they were. Well, so what was occurring in Christ? Well, if you were able to have a sit down with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were able to look across the table, the first thing you would consider, there's nothing real impactful about this man as far as the exterior as far as what he looks like 
It says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, Who has believed our report? See, even back then they weren't believing. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, when it speaks of the arm of the Lord, it speaks of the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord. And so he's kind of setting this up. There's the element of unbelief, but nonetheless, this is still the power of God to what God desired to accomplish. Now, when Isaiah, this prophet, is speaking of the power of God, he's going right to the cross because what is described here is very accurately describes what occurred upon the cross. It says, For he shall grow up from before him as a tender plant. And the idea is he's going to come into this world as a child, as everybody does. As a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. See, it's not about the exterior with the Lord, because if it was all about beauty, or maybe you should say the charisma of the Lord, then we would be out of luck, because we don't physically see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus, but we don't physically see Jesus, but we can know Jesus. We can know Jesus because of his word. (coughs) Excuse me. We are able to have that relationship with him because he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in the side, inside of the believer. Now, why am I telling this? Well, most of the believers know it. But if you're not a believer here today, that, that's why people have this passion of sharing Christ. Why they have this passion of sharing the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit, he compels us. Compels us or he, he drives us to do so. It's why you don't really want to hear it, because the Holy Spirit, he, he, he's there and, and he's speaking to your heart and he's telling you of the necessity of change and he's convicting you. And, and although you know you're a sinner and you've tried to hide the fact that you're a sinner, Christians, as they share, they, they keep bringing that back up. But also he speaks of the necessity to have a relationship with God, of sin, of righteousness, and I, as all humanity, even an atheist, and deep down inside, they know that God exists. They know that God exists because as you look at creation, you cannot deny him. And Christ was that time when he came so that we would know God. He's the image of the invisible God. And then you also know that there's going to be a price paid. There's going to be a price paid because of our sins. And again, that day can seem so far and it can seem so long. And it can seem so, we can seem so disconnected from it but we never know when that day is going to come upon us. See, you're able to have a sit down with Jesus Christ today. Christ will meet you even in, well, even when you're by yourselves, even when you're in the darkness of your own room. If you so desire, if you open your heart to the Lord, the Lord will speak to you and he's probably going to tell you some things that maybe you don't want to hear, but they're the things that are, again, for your betterment. These things that as we open our ears and allow them to sink into our hearts, it's going to turn out, well, it'll turn out for the day of our salvation. Maybe you one of those people, I'd like to talk to Napoleon, or I'd like to talk to Muhammad, or I'd like to talk to the 21st president of the United States, or anybody else on that list. I looked through the list. I only found one person who's still alive that you're able to speak to, and that's Jesus Christ. Everybody else is dead. Everybody else, it's just a fantasy, it's just a wish, It's just a desire. But today we speak of truth. We speak of truth. Jesus did not come, and it was not an outward expression of anything because this ministry was to minister throughout the ages. He came in spirit, he came physically, but he also came in truth. And so 
Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, is, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. Well, we know that the cross was planted in very dry ground. The cross was planted at a time when Israel was under Roman occupation. It was planted by those people who wanted Christ to go away, who wished to see him no more. It was planted by sinners, sinners who so needed grace, but it was nonetheless planted so, well, mankind could find salvation. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So once again, he's not exterior, he's interior. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men. Well, we see that played out even today. Not all men, but mankind, for the most part, they don't want to see Jesus because, again, they enjoy the darkness rather than the light. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Grief struck the heart of the Lord while he was here. He saw the rejection of Jerusalem and it troubled his heart. He he realized that mankind, and such as Judas, was going to reject him and it struck his soul. He realized, even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that although he was going to die, that wasn't what it was about. It was the reality of sin that was placed upon him, placed upon God for the very first time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that terrible cross, and as we look at as we look at the physical beatings that came upon him, as we look at the whippings and the scourgings, we realize that, wow, there's a physical ramification, but there's a spiritual ramification, because that was what was spiritually happening to him as well. And so as we see this, this was Christ truly suffering, not from the beatings and the scourgings, but from the sin taken upon him because humanity could not take sin upon himself and live and survive it. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Does that describe you? It described me for a period of time in my life. There were those people who who shared with me. There were those people who had that enough love for me that they would have that compassion to see me in the kingdom of heaven with them, and I despised them. I wanted them to go away. I didn't want to hear it. I, I, I was comfortable, at least I thought I was, in my sinful condition. I liked dwelling in the dark. And to have this light shine, shine into my, my, my darkness was like when you turn the lights on and the cockroaches go running away. And it perfectly described my life. I was very comfortable in that way. And I see the reality and I see the truthfulness of these things. Sitting apart from Christ and, and, and able to, to see these things and able to glean from these things and able to understand these things, but most importantly, and able to relate to these things. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs. And the idea here is, is our sicknesses he has taken upon himself. Again, I can't pay the price for sin. I was lost in my sin, but he is the one who was able to pay that price. We look at Good Friday and we see what a holy day that was. The resurrection is what validates it. He has carried our sorrows, those failures, those times when we so wanted to be good, moral people. Those times when I, I, I wanted to achieve the kingdom of Mike, but I failed and realized that, well, there is no hope. And really, what hope do we have in this world that is so temporary, but even now seems even so much more fragile? 
and we look at these things and we see the reality of these things, the only way we're ever going to have hope is because of the reality of these things. The reality of what God has delivered to us. He has delivered us a Savior. A Savior because we were drowning and we were dying and we need it. And as you're sitting here today, believer or unbeliever, you knew that. You knew that you were drowning and you were going under. And then there was the cross, and the cross is there. Although his hands are nailed to that cross, still his love is reaching out to all of humanity that whoever would come to him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Because again, we understand and we know that we're sinners, and we know that there's a Savior, and we know that there's a judgment, and the choice is ours. What's it going to be? Is it going to be Savior, or is it going to be judgment? We don't know. I mean, we know which one, one is individuals, but we don't know when we were going to have to face that. He was smitten by God and afflicted. It wasn't the Jews who smitten him. It, it wasn't the Romans who smitten him. It wasn't you who smitten him. It was the Father. He was receiving our punishment. He was receiving punishment from the Father as sin was placed upon him. Now, how do I know that sin was placed upon him? Simply because he died. See, because of sin, death entered in. Well, how do you know that? How do you know he, okay, sin, how, sin was placed upon him. How do you know he achieved victory? Because he came back to life. And that's what makes all the difference. Because again, everybody else on that list, they're dead. Our Savior lives today. He was wounded for our transgressions. I think every once in a while the translators do us a disservice because that word wounded is better translated pierced. He was pierced because of our sins. And, and what you see in that is the seven places where the Lord bled. He had that crown of thorns, and he was pierced by those thorns. Those thorns, those thorns, if you look at Genesis, they're a picture of the sin of mankind. And it's that crown of thorns that is king over sin. But there had to be that bleeding, that, that as those thorns penetrated and that blood flowed, the idea is, is because of our sins, he had to die. And there were the hands that were nailed to the cross. And hands are symbolic of works. And you have all the dead works of all humanity that led up to that place. But Jesus Christ died so that man's works would be seen in the sight of God as being that which is righteous. So that we would be able to serve the Lord. And then there were the two feet that were pierced as well. And the blood flowed in order to, in order to purify the, the walk of mankind that I would be able to walk or live my life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there was the back, the back that was whipped, and the, black, the back that was turned just raw because of that, that cat of nine tails. And the idea is, is so that he would be opened up, and the blood, the blood would enable him to carry that which, again, I can't carry. This isn't something new. This is something that has been around since the beginning. Turn over a couple books to the left to the book of Job. Job chapter 19. Job, in the midst of his afflictions, comes to the understanding of the reality of God. As he's going about his life, and most of you know the story of Job and that he lost it all. He lost his children, he lost his riches, he lost his health. Although his wife was still alive, she wasn't doing well. And, and Job at some point realized that he was all alone. Now there were points of faith that are peppered out throughout this whole time in the book of Job, these 19 chapters. But now Job comes to a reality. 
He comes to a reality that makes all the difference. In verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Now, lead, when you were doing a carving, when you had a stone and you were carving something out of it or an inscription into a stone, for the big work, you would use an iron hammer. But for the fine work, you would use a softer hammer. You would use a chisel, or it was called a pen because it was the finer work, and then a lead hammer. It's not as hard, so you could take out less and you could do all of the detail work. And he was praying that these things, that this this revelation that God had given him that it could be engraved somewhere permanent for all of humanity to see. It's how important it was to him. It's how it grasped his soul. As he came to this understanding, the same thing, we believe, therefore we speak. He's believed, therefore he's speaking. Excuse me. (coughs) For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. If your Redeemer doesn't live... (coughs) If Christ did not come back from the dead, excuse me, <clears throat> then we're the most pitiful of people. Then we just believe in another dead prophet, a dead prophet. I mean, if Christ couldn't do anything for himself, how is he going to do anything for us? It's essential that our Redeemer truly must live. He, he had to be resurrected or our, our, our hope is futile because if he wasn't resurrected, then we're not going to be resurrected at all. But Job's got this assurance. God has spoken to his heart in the midst of his trouble. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on this earth. He's speaking of the second coming of Christ. Christ came the first time, and we know what occurred there, but there is going to be that one day when Christ does come again. And what he's speaking of is, he's speaking of the end of the age. And after my skin, and again, this is an interesting statement. And after my skin is destroyed, This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So he's talking about his skin being destroyed, the decomposition of the body as we know that it happens. But he's also speaking of a physical presence in the presence of God. A physical presence in the sight of God. He's understanding this concept. and he's Now, I don't think he knows the details as we know the details. But nonetheless, God has spoken to them, to him, so that we see the belief of this man. He also says in verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. For you people who are here today who are Christians, who are believers, what are you looking forward to in the future after the day that you die? I mean, have you considered that? And some of you, I'm sure of the mindset, because I'd probably give this answer too. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity isn't about going to heaven. It's about going to Christ. It's about looking into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ and being in his presence. The Lord said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now, he's speaking of salvation. There's no doubt about that. I be lifted up. He's speaking of crucifixion. But because he was lifted up, we are going to him. We are going to be in the presence of our Savior. And it really needs to be something in your life that you truly believe you know and allow it to have that motivation, motivate, give you a motivational spirit and the things that God has called you to do. If you're an unbeliever here today, you have no hope. Maybe you have hope in some good But How many good ideas did you have that really never worked out all that well? I'll try to stay to this side of the stage because when I go over here, it seems like I lose. 
how many good ideas did you have in your life that didn't work out? You want to bet your life on the next one or maybe the last one? What is it that we have given ourselves to? We are given ourselves to that which has stood the test of time that, again, has reverberated throughout the ages. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns with me. Oh, how I desire for that day. This is the great hope that the born-again believer has today. Faith, faith is our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's trusting in God for today. Hope is trusting in God for tomorrow. So here we are, another Easter Sunday. Somebody may have invited you to church. Maybe you got a flyer and you were inspired to come. I don't know the reason that you're here, but I just want to encourage you, as far as belief, time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. I got here a little bit early today for prayer. Me and another gentleman were in one of the classrooms. We were praying for the service today. Uh, One of our ministers came up to me and says, you need to come in the back. And I, I came in the back and one of our servants, elderly gentleman, Gene, Gene and Bernice, um, he fainted. He passed out. He fell down and his head hit the wall. And it's to, just to show you the magnitude of it, it put a hole in the wall. And, and he was seated there on this chair. And, and, and I came up to him and, and his, his, his chin was in his chest. And, and Gene, Gene, I'm trying to get his attention and, and just seeing that no, he, he, he's okay now, just so you know. But, but for that moment, he was passed out. And, and I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking, I can't do anything to make him come back. I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where he was at as far as his health. And I, I know the things as far as first aid, but when you're looking at somebody in the face whose eyes are closed and, and they, they don't just really seem to be there and his chin is in his chest and, and you want to make it all better and, and you just can't. And it's at those times that you realize that this man right now, I mean at all times, but especially right now, this man, is, his life is in the hands of God. And, and, and so I just, I just prayed. I just pray, Lord, that, that you would touch this man, that you would meet this man where he's at. And I don't know if God's calling him home at that time, and if God's calling him home, I don't want him being mad at me for bringing him back, not that I can. But seriously, I, I, just, see, I just see how helpless I am. I see how hopeless the human condition is. You see, I, I, I haven't spoken to him. Now, just so you know, he kind of came back around. We called paramedics. They came out. They took his vital signs. They were all good. They brought him to the hospital. My wife went. That's why she's not here right now. Went to get Bernice, and she's going to take her down to Kaiser over there. Everything seems to be going well. We don't know what happened, but just so you know that. But again, this is a man who woke up this morning. He got dressed. He knew it was Easter service because he was here on time. And he came here. And what was he doing? He, he was putting bagels on a, on a platter because that's what he believes that God, and I concur, God has called him to do. He was just doing what, what, what he usually does, not thinking that today is going to be any different than any other Easter Sunday. But we just don't know if God is going to give us that which we expect for that day. We don't know that God's not going to call us to give an account of ourselves. He, he's he's going to bring us before himself this day. And so Gene was just doing that, and it took him by such surprise, such unexpectedly, that he'd fall down to such force that he would, his head would put a hole in the wall. 
And so you have to see the suddenness and how unexpected this all was. He couldn't brace himself. It came upon him so fast. And, and as he's sitting in that chair, again, I'm coming to this awareness that you know, I prayed, but I can't do anything for this man. That, that at this point, this is between him and God. Now, I did pray, as I said, and, and God answered that prayer. and We thank God for that. But, it, but it's at that point that it just whittles down between you and God. Have you rejected that God? Have you rejected that God that is so gracious? Have you rejected that God that is so merciful? And if you call yourself a Christian today, have you rejected that God through a lack of faith? Have you rejected that God through lackadaisical Christian life? That God demands our attention. He demands our respect. He demands, well, he demands our all because he first had given his all. And so we've got to consider, because if I would have seen Gene beforehand, I would have said, Gene, how you doing? He probably would have said, fine. I know he would, whether he was or not. I know he would have said, fine, because this was unexpected. But just like that, everything changed. I use him as an example. You probably know people. When they woke up that, this morning, they didn't think, oh, I'll probably be in the hospital by nine o'clock this morning. That wasn't part of his plan. His wife, his wife was feeling sick. She stayed home. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going on. And Bernice is home by herself. I don't want to just call her. She has no idea that this is going on. They had, we have no idea just even moments before these life-changing things happen that they do happen. And because of that, you need to be prepared. Now, if today was the day of your death, how prepared are you right now? Because we can so be of the mindset, well, later. I was of the mindset, later, but you don't know if you have later. You don't know. Every man that was on that list, they died. They probably didn't know that that day was going to be the day of his death. Look at Abraham Lincoln. I think he was number four. He went to the movie. He went to a play. They didn't have movies back then. He went to a play. He went to a play, and his life was required of him. What if today your life was required of you? that it came so suddenly, again, Gene, he couldn't even put his hands up to protect himself. He was just completely at that moment in the mercy of God. Now, I know him to be a born-again believer. I know him and his wife, that they love the Lord. And if, I could, if, if, he would, if God would have taken him, I would have all confidence, as much as my own salvation, to stand up here and say, this man is in the presence of Jesus Christ. But if we were having your funeral service today, what would your loved ones be able to say about you? And it's not just because you've called yourself a Christian. It's have you conducted your life as a Christian. If, the, if it's not so, if you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've walked down an aisle or if you've raised a hand in the past, but you know that you're far from Christ, that you know that if you would be called home today and you had to stand before a holy God, that, well, you just don't know. You're just not sure really what would happen. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is assuredness. It's assuredness and relationship. And so I'm asking you today, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, open your heart before the Lord. Open your heart before the Lord and you ask him where you're at with Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, He's going to tell you. He's going to let you know. God doesn't play games. He's going to let you know. And he's going to let you know if you're falling short. He's going to let you know if you don't have that relationship. And you can have that relationship even today. You can have that relationship 
just by asking Christ into your life. Now, that's something that we're not privy to. That's something between you and God. Again, the raising of your hand does not save yourself. The walking down of an aisle does not save yourself. What saves you is belief. You have to understand that. Saying a sinner's prayer does not save you. It's belief in Jesus Christ and, and, and submitting your life to the Lord God of the universe. That's what brings salvation. But it's after that, these exterior things are these things that not only validate what has occurred in your life, but also their inspiration to others. Father, I just come before you and I lift up, Lord, just our day, just everything, Father, that that has occurred. I pray for for Gene right now, Lord, that you would give him that peace that surpasses understanding. I pray for Bernice, Lord, and I pray basically the same, that she would find peace, Lord, and, and that, Father, you would just heal him and restore him fully back to health. I pray, Father, and thank you for those servants who faithfully served and all the work that went into both the play and the time of worship, that you would bless those for serving. I pray for your word, Lord, and just pray, God, that you would use it in the lives of those who are here today. And we pray even right now, as eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just as I offered the challenge, I pray that those in this room, those who are hearing this message, would, Father, truly ask you, have I fallen short? Have I left something undone? If today was my day, Lord, would I be in your presence? And so ask God. Ask God even right now. I'm going to take just a few moments of silence. And I just want everybody here, don't take this for granted. You don't know if you have even the next day, even the next hour. Just so that you would know that you would make your calling and election sure. Ask the Lord where you are at with him. And if you find yourself lacking, just simply repent and submit your life to him. Just ask Jesus that he would inhabit you and that, well, if you're not saved today, that today would be the day of your salvation. Let's take that time. Let's take that moment of silence. Consider these things. Ask the Lord. Father, we know how gracious you are, and I just pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who, who realizes that they're far from you, that if today was their day, that they would be separated for a lifetime, I pray, Father, that they would open their heart and they would receive of your spirit. I pray, Father, for anybody here that may have received of your spirit, that saw that they were lacking, and Lord, just ask that you would change their lives. And again, the changed life is always expressed in an outward expression. And so we're going to give of this time, as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, that, that you would go on record, not so much shouting out, but just the lifting of a hand. Not the lifting of a hand that saves, but a lifting of a hand because God has done a work in your life here even right now. Lift your hand up. Allow me just to acknowledge you. Is there anybody here? I see your hands here to my left. Anybody else? I see your hands to my left in the back. Anybody else? This isn't just an outward expression of what God has done in your heart, that you came in here lacking and you realized that God filled you. 
Is there anybody else? If you're in the overflow here today, God sees you. He knows you. Just raise your hand. You're not raising your hand to me. You're raising your hand to him. Just these two women boldly are coming before the Lord. It's a hard thing to, to lift a hand in a group of people like that and to acknowledge these things. But if we will acknowledge him, he'll acknowledge us before his father. Is there anybody else? Don't let this time get past you. I see your hand here to my right. This is between you and God. Anybody else before we pray? You can put your hands down. Father, you see these hands that have gone before you. And Lord, we just see this rich picture. These are your people reaching up to you. And I just pray, Father, that, Lord, you would grasp on to them. And Father, they would have the mindset that you're never going to let go. And so, Father, I just lift them up to you, that you would bless them, that you would keep them close to you, that you would fill them with your spirit. And, Father, just even more so, that you would clear their conscience of dead works and bring them into your new kingdom of heaven, Father, that is so glorious. And, again, it's not just about the kingdom of heaven. It's about coming to you, Father, and then how you dwell with your people every day of our lives. So we just thank you and praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?